welcome to the Assembly Line, an NES homebrew podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin from K-Hand Games. I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. And we're here to talk about homebrews. Ah, ah, can I cut you off for a second, Kevin? Cut me off? We're just getting started. I know, but you know, we've had this little little gem in our midst for the last 20 plus episodes. And did you know, or do you even remember, that... Our intro song that, that we just uh, heard a few seconds ago is actually, that's like a tenth of what uh, the composer gave us. There's more to this little jingle? There is a lot more. We're going to talk about music this episode. Things are going to be a little different than normal. I'd like to get us off on the right foot by uh, listening to that whole piece. Wow, okay. Yeah, I'd like to hear what the rest of this sounds like, too. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> Now that was really, that was really cool. Now, earlier you mentioned the composer. Now, who actually composed that? I, I like to be vague like that, like the maestro, ah. the composer. Do we call him maestro? Oh, he'd probably like it though. <laughs> uh, that was, of course, done by the famous Zai, uh, Thomas Raganet, Tommy Rags, whatever he prefers. We'll find out soon because we're going to talk to him this episode. Ooh, that's exciting. As well as another Thomas. This is going to be the tale of two Thomases. Mm. So sh should we just jump right into that or what? Ah, no, you know, music's just music, right? It's, it's just, you know, one of those things. No, nothing big. <laughs> right. It, 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 anyone can do it, right? You don't need any talent or inspiration or anything. Just start clicking well, some keys. You know, music is so important to games, uh, especially with the whole retro scene and whatnot. We're often playing the games we grew up with, but even if you can't conjure them visually in your head, or if it's been a long time since you played them, at least for myself, I still find myself getting music uh, stuck in my head, and I'm humming it, and it's just playing on loop inside the old brain. Stuff that I haven't even played in, I don't know, 10, 15 years? Like, the importance of music is so huge, so let, let's talk about that some before we, we get these guys on. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that because, you know, a lot of games music is, you know, tucked away in my brain somewhere, but there's music that I, there's a game that I only played one night with my brother, and it was some helicopter game on either the Atari or the Intellivision, that I can hear the percussion snare drum in my head of the, the pattern, 
I don't know what the game is, and I have zero idea what it is, but I can instantly recognize the music. It's still in my head almost 30 years later. It's crazy how this simplified music on these archaic systems, like the, this music spans the test of time. It really does. I mean, to me, it's it's more timeless than... I mean, it's the most timeless aspect of many games. Absolutely. And yeah, so what are some of the ones that really have stood out to you over the years? Well, I mean, it's probably trite to bring up the Super Marios and the Zeldas, but, you know, there's a reason that those themes are still prevalent in modern iterations of the game. Oh, well, don't don't be trite. Give me specific examples. Well, I mean, let's just say the theme from the original Super Mario Brothers. You know, you push plower, push power, push start on one player, the music starts instantaneously. Everyone knows that song. Even people's parents know that song, and they've never played a, a, a Super Mario game before. Or any game, for that matter, besides Candy Crush, of course. Right, clearly. You mentioned Mario. I probably... There's lots that I could tell you what it's from if I heard it, but the ones that really like play on loop, they, the Zelda Overworld. Oh mm-hmm. man! And it's weird because you know in that game there are only like four songs, and that's one of them. And yeah, probably hear it the most, but it still never gets old to me. Even you know ten hours or five hours into the game or whatever. And it's incredible that composers could write music that's looped endlessly and somehow you don't get tired of it as a listener like the challenges inherent in that have to be incredible well it's so different than like composing for an album where you expect the song to end and not not loop continuously like yeah you're trying to capture mood feeling of of like the area that matches the graphics and all that but you're also trying to capture the that kind of of the gameplay as well like exploratory section or an intense section with a boss it's just so much you you have to write it with the intention of it being looped too because you don't know how long the player is going to be at any given area in a game so i don't know like writing music for the nes has its own unique sort of rules that you have to think about when it's applied to a game environment yeah, it's just, it's so different. And sort of opposite, there are so few instances in a game that are sort of timed mm-hmm. where you only hear things once, you know, like maybe an intro section or maybe the ending of a game. But anytime the player can just sit there, pretty much has to loop. Yeah, um, I can think of, you know, when you finish, if we want to continue to use this Super Mario sort of uh, game, like when you hit the flag at the end of a level, it plays that sort of that little mm. section, it's timed, and then it just moves on to you know the next level. Oh, if you want more on Super Mario on music, there's a, there's a whole book on it. Is there? Yeah, yeah, it was written by a guy a few years ago. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but there's that. So what else besides Mario? Give me some other highlights of your NES or beyond playing that still stick with you. Um, let's see, other, uh, I think the RC Prime, you know, all of this stuff's going to be subjective to this point because, you know, it's games that we as kids grew up with. So RC Pro-Am comes to mind. I feel like the sort of intro before the race starts, 
that is ingrained in my memory as much as anything else. I'm not asking for the best. I'm asking for the ones that have stuck with you 30 years later. Okay, well, it's entirely subjective. Go for it. Uh, Let's see. Marble Madness, of course. Oh, man. Those, the music in that game, it has such a unique feel. Like, the game itself is this, you know, abstract art piece of, like, marbles rolling around. But to take music that somehow matches that strangeness, I don't know, it's it's incredible. And, of course, you know, it came out on the arcade first, and they took the crazy music from the arcade, and the fact that they were able to make it work on a system that is as restricted as the NES, that's, I mean, that that's something to uh, to celebrate. <laughs> they, they, they pulled it off magically. Yeah, I haven't gone into that in depth with Marble Madness, but I, I remember playing it as a kid, and yeah, it's, it's very... It's weird. Mysterious? Whimsical? Yeah. Oh. All of those things. Something. Well, let's. What about you? Like, what are some of the games that you grew up with that uh, music stuck in your head? I grew up with or not, the ones that I still come back to are Mega Man Three. Oh yeah. I think it's just because we rented it so much, but that intro song I will still sit and listen to just over and over, and like the Shadow Man song, M and I Man. They they all just so good. Well, I mean, there's a reason that the Capcom sort of music from the Mega Man series, like, that's that's beloved by tons of people. I actually saw the, the met the composer at uh, Fest a few yeah, years ago. Absolutely. She didn't speak English, but uh, I held some stuff for a friend to get signed. She also did the music for the first Tech Mobile, but go on. So uh, Mega Man 3 is a big highlight for me. Uh, in recent years, I've discovered things like Lagrange Point or mm. Moon Crystal is very good. Those were both Famicom only games, and then Ultima Exodus has probably two of my favorite songs. And the game itself, I find to be unplayable, but I can listen to the music on repeat for I don't know an hour, just one song over and over. Wow. Oh, we we haven't even talked about Contra. We haven't even talked about many things, but oh man, Contra, you say yes. The Contra music. I mean, that stuff. I, I feel like tons of people played Contra growing up, and the music in that game is very memorable. Oh, and that's the thing. You know, for me, NES is still very much. I don't know for you too. It's still very much alive. It's not just this thing we remember, and so. I don't listen to a lot of music, so this is still kind of like the soundtrack to my life. Um, put it on, I'll, I'll program, or... Oh, no, I can't get the same time. I'll just sit there and listen. <laughs> Ooh. What about the moon theme from DuckTales? Oh, moon... Didn't we play... Oh, we played Sergio's uh, uh, cover of that one time on, yeah. on the show. Man, that's a good tune. I mean, Capcom as a whole, that's like, those were my go-tos as a kid. And then Legacy of the Wizard has a couple tracks that I just find to be, have withstood the test of time. Man, are, are we allowed to play any of this music on our podcast? Uh, probably not. Uh, <laughs> I really want to give some examples. I know, I know, and that's what makes it hard. But, you know, you can just, you can find 
SFs, that's the sound format, or YouTube videos. Like, there's a reason all this stuff is still around and people have taken the time to make it available because it, it's so good. Yes. About some, uh, are there, is there any memorable homebrew music from the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years of homebrewing? Oh, man. Um, you know I've got some highlights. Well, I think if I want to pick an easy one, obviously Battle Kids music was oh, yeah. directly inspired from, you know, the Mega Man sort of series of, you know, the percussion sounds and, and that sort of thing. So uh, Sivak, who did the music for that game, um, he did a hell of a job. Yeah, and that's actually available on his site. You can just download MP3 format or NSF. I've listened to it so much because it's one of the few that you could just natively download an MP3, threw it on the iPod, and I'd sit there on the train on between Buffalo and Indiana, just listening to that as I fell asleep. And and that is a good one. Yeah. What do you think? Play the game, obviously, but oh, I love yeah, the yeah. music. Let's not talk about the game, but man, the music's good. <laughs> what else? Well, I feel like it would be ridiculous of me to choose one of my own games, but I'm oh, very no, proud of the music in... You can peek? No. Well, eh. Your Nine Inch Nails cover was awesome. Yeah, and, you know, that, you know, when I started out in the scene, music was what brought me into it because you know back in 07 there actually weren't a lot of people doing music for homebrew games themselves because homebrew itself was in its infancy and you know people like brian parker and james todd and some of these guys that were doing you know some of the original stuff like the chunk out and you know garage cart they were doing programming and you know some of them were kind of doing their own music and of course joe membler's he does incredible music, so obviously he was taken care of for his own individual projects. But, you know, the, the people that were very affluent in programming, like James and Brian, maybe didn't have a lot of exposure to, you know, they didn't have a lot of means to be doing their own music. So they were looking for people, you know, to, to start bringing in different music. So when I saw that there was sort of a, an opening, I wanted to try my hand at it. Um, so yeah, the music for Sneak and Peek was definitely some of my early stuff, and it definitely had a sound to it. <laughs> well, you were the go-to guy for like, I don't know, the first five years or so. I wouldn't want to say three. I'm the three. go-to guy. I was probably the only guy that was enthusiastic about, you know, making stuff and putting it in. So You were around, and yes. you could do it. Yes. <laughs> Uh, not going to talk talent, but you had those first two things. Well, luckily for everyone, um, you know, people like Zai and, you know, some of these other talented people who came in and found their way in, they, they came at the perfect time because, you know, as, as games became more and more complicated and, and just good, substantial, um, you know, having incredible music to go along with that it only sort of heightens the whole experience and brings everything up, you know, the level of everything. Wait, what, uh, what game were you actually going to toot of your oh, own? Oh, thank you. Sorry, I went on a tangent. Um, no, I, I interrupted you. I went on the tangent. Just took you with me. 
Larry. I'm very proud of the music on Larry. Something about that casino theme. I just I, I go in there and I can I can listen to that tune on repeat. Just you know, just like we were talking about from Zelda and, and Super Mario Brothers. Like that that song is just so soothing to me, and I don't know what it is, but yeah, just the music overall in that game. I'm very proud of. Oh, that's one of my personal highlights is the Larry soundtrack as well. And I will get the it's the very first song when you're on the street. Um, ah, yes. I'll just be sitting there in the park, or not sitting, walking in the park, and the song will pop into my head and it'll take me, I don't know, two, three minutes before I realize what it's from. And I'm just like, oh, shoot, that's Larry. <laughs> remember... I remember, um, and I'm switching gears here, but I remember oh, go for it. you told me a story about one time you were in a grocery store or a department store, and you heard a song on on the loudspeaker, and you were like, I know this song. And then it dawned on you that it was the Bee Gees song that I put in study hall. and that, Bloodhammer, and that man. No, 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 that's not the Bee Gees song. No. Not Sledgehammer, uh, it's Tragedy. Oh no, it was both of them. I've never heard either, like, hadn't at the time heard either in real life, I guess. I'd only heard your versions, and <laughs> both of those, Study Hall soundtrack, I know you covered everything, but sure. it was it was awesome! That's hilarious. How do you go through life not having heard Sledgehammer? I don't know. Like, I listened to classic rock all the time growing up, I, I don't know Man. how I missed that or the other. It's good stuff. Uh, your music has always stood out, or the music in your games, even if you didn't do it, uh, has always stood out to me as being top notch. But of course, I'm going to say it, and hope you're ready for this. But the uh, Blizzard soundtrack is you no. Know. I can't even. I mean, everyone listening knows how I feel about the game, but I cannot dispute that the music in that game is fucking incredible. Oh, we got the explicit rating already. Yes. Good stuff. We're just throwing it out there. I mean, when music is that good, how can you not cuss about it? That's how passionate I am. Okay. Well, there's that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Lizard stands out to me. Uh, Rob. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. shoot. Why didn't we have Rob on as our third guy? I mean, we still can. Let's edit that in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, Rob's music is so unique in itself. Like, he has a whole sound going for him. And philosophy behind how it ties into gameplay. Yeah, that's true. Which would be meaningless if the music itself wasn't just awesome. Right. God, yeah. Yeah, the, these folks that can do, do it all, music, art, programming, ah, always going to be jealous of that. Yeah, it must be nice. Yeah. It's weird. There's there's been just like in the licensed era, there were these small games that you would probably write off and never play. Uh, puzzle games, things like that. I would play have, puzzle games. Oh, okay. That have amazing music. Things like Anticipation. Oh yeah, that's that's actually a good point. That game has amazing music. Well, and we've seen it with, with the homebrew scene. There's a lot of small games, puzzle games, generally. Uh, things that are very much worth playing, but that may not catch your eye. And then you go to play them and you're just like, these are some rocking tunes. Yeah. And I really do feel like music can elevate a game from 
something that might be you know fun to tinker around tinker around with to something that you actively want to be involved and surrounded with like it can it can physically propel a game into another tier and you know it just makes you want to play it because you get that sort of earworm in your brain and it just keeps you actively interested yeah and that i mean that's for i'd say that's for certain genres other genres it's required like if you have 40 hour rpg you need to have good music because yes if you don't yes yeah. yeah no one's gonna want to grind for 40 hours when you have crap music <laughs> that's what she said oh uh, I, I don't see nothing wrong with a little bump and grind um, well, it's to the right tunes, man. Right <laughs> tunes. What uh, what homebrew music other than Lizard would you say that uh, you love? I, I gave you. They're all yours. Uh, oh, okay. Well, th- those are the oh. right answers. Oh, no. More than that. Um, you did say Rob, so I, I guess you're off the hook. No, there's Rob's. Uh, of course, I love stuff by Zai or Human Thomas. Those go without saying. Oh, yeah, saying. his music carts are really good, too. Yeah, yeah, those are those are a little different. You know, it's weird the difference between the homebrew music scene and the chiptune scene. You would think they'd be more related and there'd be more overlap. It kind of kind like of went whole, two different. It's like a whole other world. Oh, I was thinking of this the other day when we were leading up to this this episode, and it's it's sort of the difference between releasing a music album and scoring the soundtrack for like a film. Mm. That's true. Like for a music score, you are setting music to something, you know, to to enhance something that already exists. Yeah. And for a music album, you are composing whatever, yeah, and, it, and that's going to stand on its own. They generally like they don't loop. Like the piece is the piece, and that's sort of it. And the other thing with with sort of the uh, scoring a soundtrack is you're you're really paying attention to the content, and you're trying to match it in terms of speed and. Like when events happen, things like that. Another musician that people often forget about, of course, is is Julius. Oh yeah, he didn't do the super bat puncher music that everybody knows, but he did some stuff prior to that. And then, of course, the Micromages music, and mm-hmm. that's a good example of somebody who ties the music in with programming and makes it all fit. And an example of someone who can do it all. The jerk. Yeah, even though. I mean, he can do art too. He does very good art, but you mm-hmm. know, working with Nicholas has has boosted him sort of even beyond that. Yeah, but uh, he knows enough that he he's cutting bites out of music to make space for the programming. Weird, weird stuff that I'll, I don't even I shouldn't say I don't even know because he's light years beyond me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, stuff I don't pay attention to, I guess. So, what are we doing in this episode? Are we talking oh, to musicians? Uh, yeah, you know we're. We're going to talk to some musicians, and we're going to listen to some of their music. And oh, that's exciting. We we rarely actually like stop and listen to more than one tune here and there. Yeah, we usually fit in like two an episode, but I, I really want this one to kind of focus on what they're bringing to the table. If we if we did an art episode, you would just be not seeing anything, right? That doesn't translate quite as well into a podcast format. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, we'll, we'll try to match the uh, volume so you're not having to, like, turn it down when your boss walks by and all that. But um, let's kick this off with uh, some tunes. 
So this podcast will be safe for work? Is that what you're saying? SFW? Then the explicit rating, yeah, sure. Oh, my bad. Sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. But let's, we'll throw out a few tracks uh, from some of our favorite song or uh, songs, you know, games uh, right now. And then we are going to talk with uh, Tom I. We're going to talk to who? Tom I. Tom I? Yeah, like... Uh, oh, yeah. Plur- plural Thomases. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm All caught right. up. <laughs> Off we go.
as we said, our first guest today is uh, Zai, which looks like Z or oh, just like Z or I. Zai with a Z. <laughs> uh, Thomas or Tom Ragonet, uh, Tommy Rags, as he was once known, but that that disappeared with Nintendo Age. Tom, how you doing? Good, Bo. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. Um, so we've we've featured your music several times now across various episodes. It's in a ton of games that people have played. Real quick, can you tell us sort of what people would know you for? Yeah. Um, I just uh, worked on a bunch of the Xmas from... Oh, my God. I already blanked on the name. Retro USB Xmas. Um, You're getting arts. stage fright here? Oh, it's so bad. Like and, deer in uh, headlights? Yeah, it's so bad. And then, um, uh, and and uh, famously got got a chance to work with Kevin as well uh, on the incident, and a bunch of other stuff. I was gonna say that that list is way longer, but all yeah, right, well, just those. <laughs> get more into your work in a sec, but so you know, if you've played those games, this is the guy behind the tunes that are stuck in your head forever. That's the truth. Oh, isn't it? Yes. That incident soundtrack. Um, Anyways, so how did you sort of tell us sort of your musical background and then how you got started with NES music and what that kind of looked like uh, with some time periods, if possible? So I got a Nintendo uh, as a as a child um, as a punishment. We had an Apple IIc downstairs, and my brother and I kept gaming on it and would constantly leave it on because we didn't want to lose our spot in whatever game you know we played. We had a bunch of pirated software, and you know it would constantly glitch out. So um, my parents were really angry at us and they didn't want us on the computer anymore. So their solution was to get us a Nintendo. So we would be in just doing, you know, something very specific and not on the computer, you know, just gaming, <laughs> which makes zero sense now that we, now that I'm an adult and thought about it, like that's kind of dumb, but whatever, it was fantastic. Kids, you could learn something educational, but eh, why don't you just sit in front of the screen for a while? Just, just do it. You know what? I I understand you're learning basic. That's great. Got all these magazines. Awesome. Let's let's really get you in front of the Nintendo right now. <laughs> yeah, computer programming that won't take you anywhere. Play that this video not, game. Right. It's <laughs> it's way before OOP, so who cares? Um, <laughs> it's pre-Java. Uh, so so uh, my brother and I would beat a ton of games, but we always liked the music and and you know. Uh, NES just has that one, um, you know, output. It's it's nothing nothing great. Everything comes out in mono, but we hooked it up, got a splitter to a stereo, and you know, it was a very like early '90s stereo. Had a tape deck and everything, and occasionally, like when you beat Rygar or whatever uh, SMB3, you know, you get to the um, the end credits, and it was a big deal, right? You you spent all this time, you didn't do any homework, you got yelled at, and your reward was. You beat the game, you got some credits. But for us, the reward was um, another song, like something else that we haven't heard 50 times as we're trying to you know, blow through a level or figure out what's supposed to be going on and how to, how to beat a game. We would, no matter when it was, record the, the, you know, the end song and, and then kind of make a mixtape of songs that we haven't heard before. And then before we knew it, we had you know, filled up, I think, two 90-minute tapes worth of, worth of music. And that was kind of our early chiptune headspace that we were that we were in, and that really got me into, you know, the the musical side. I think of of video games. I'm classically trained, um, played the piano, still playing the piano. So I guess for you know 
a long, long time. Uh, played in the <laughs> cruise ship, um, you know, toured around a little bit, like did some crazy stuff. And then so having that background, both a technical background as well as, you know, kind of feel, you know, feeling the music and, and, you know, I know some artists are very opposed to something like the circle of fifths. They'll freak out or some people just lean really heavily on music and see it more like a, uh, logarithmic puzzle than an actual, you know, something you experience and feel and like music. So I'd like to think that I kind of had the best of both worlds there. So that's, that's my background. I'm just going to say Circle of Fifths sounds like a cult. Best <laughs> cult ever. So let's go back to um, you talking about you having a classical upbringing. Did it start with like lessons as a child? Like how, oh, how yeah. did you get introduced to the piano? Uh, <laughs> um, I was three. I'm in Queens. My parents w- were visiting my, my grandparents. I, I lived out in Long Island. And um, no. my, my yeah, can you hear it? What? Yeah, pizza, <laughs> coffee. So dog. So um, we lived out Long Island, and and you know every weekend we go see Grandma and Grandpa out out in Queens. And um, you know when I was really little, they had a piano, and you know it's a three story. Uh, everything's really crammed together, and so everyone would be in the living in the fa- in the living room. It was kind of this open porch area, and they had a piano there, and I was actually. Um, between the E and the F, middle C, E and the F, uh, had a little, um, I don't know, like a divot. Yeah. But it was actually, um, my great grandfather, uh, had a cigarette, you know, everyone obviously smoked. And so he, he, uh, a cigarette ash fell and burnt some of the keys. So I always remember where E and F were when I play some. <laughs> so I'd sit there and I'd mess around with the piano and they were very good, Tom, very good, Tom. Thank you. And so... <laughs> You know, it, it that was kind of like the the start of it. Actually, it's funny. Pop never they they asked him. I don't know if you can cut this. This is a rambling story. Now, the Warner Brothers, when they were in New York, were moving to California. Were like, hey, they they he played for the silent movies, and they said, hey, we're going. We're taking a bunch of folks wow. with us. And they're like, come with us. And he's like, nah, my family's here in Queens. You know, and so <laughs> they never went. I leave that if I so choose. Yeah, sure. Okay, all right. Just making sure it's not something like mob story or something. <laughs> he's long. He's long gone now. So, um, you know, by the time, by the time I was five, uh, my mom grew up playing the piano, but not. She didn't really have a passion for it, and uh, my dad wasn't musical at all. But my mom wanted me to take lessons, so I still have my first lesson book. Crazy enough, and. Uh, I took it in the second half of first grade, and I took wow. lessons until I was a uh, senior in college. I studied with uh, someone in this really fancy lady in Montreal, and yeah, so a long history of playing the piano, and I guess I can play every instrument. I haven't tried most of them, but um, <laughs> actually, that's a lie. I can do everything, but I haven't ever. I've, I've really tried most practice. instruments, and I can play. I haven't mastered any yet. But you know, had a good chance to to experience a lot of instruments. Played the all the low brass throughout school as well, and um, string. And yeah, it's you know, you can pick everything up real fast. It's fun. So, how did you? How what was the transition then to NES music? Where did where did you start? Did you start oh, with track rock? 
Let me tell you something about third wave ska and punk rock. Are you from Pittsburgh? <laughs> um, no, you know, I really liked the the punk rock music as well. And being classically trained with punk rock, that's essentially chip tunes, you know, just on a computer plane. Whatever you say. You know, you well, you shouldn't have a song longer than like two and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's very explosive, right? Amaganaguchi, you think of it like there's just like slam, 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 slam. There's no like, you know, sub I mean, I'm sure there are, but, you know, I, I find a chip tunes win song that isn't, you know, in your face and at 160 BPM or higher. But what did that look like? What, did you like just get the idea in your head that, oh, shoot, I've been recording this music on tapes. I should just start to make it using... Yes, sort sort of. Um, okay. I, I, you know, I, I got, I, whatever. I lived my old life in Los Angeles, and and I think it was like 2008. So like 2008, I was thinking, hey, you know what? Um, I know what it was. Alex Moyer, um, in 2006 or eight, came out with Vegavox. Or Vegabox oh. 2, I forget which one. Right? Yeah. So Teletime and Alex Moyer had their... Uh, and, and it was Nest Music, which I loved. And it was on a cart, which I love even more. Because you can do chip tunes, You can emulate the you know, 2A03 kind of thing. But having it on the cart and actually having that physical media takes me right back to the childhood of putting a cartridge in, hitting record, that kind of stuff. So when I heard that, I think I, I picked... I have all of moyer's stuff and god it had to be it had to be around then i was like oh my god this is amazing i i think i can do it and at the time i, I was working off of a mac so uh i was using ppmck which is like god it's such a disaster it's like a it's like a mix between <laughs> code and um it is it's it's just like because you have to compile it into a uh, NSF file, into a Nintendo sound file. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, you'd, you'd write out your lick, like... <sighs> okay, and then you'd have to compile, wait. I think there was a second step. I, whatever, I wrote a script to like kind of expedite. And then bip, 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 pump it out, and then play it, and it's like, the note's wrong, or um, it's a quarter note and not an eighth note, so you have to go back and change it, compile it, whatever. So it was a very, very tedious process using text-based UI. You know, you're just, you're writing code. You're doing what you guys do. It's annoying. Do you actually, do you know how to program and stuff? Or you just talked about doing some programming? Yes. Nothing too modern. You know, core Java, I guess, is probably where I was like, I can't. Nothing too modern. You're talking to two guys that only know assembly. <laughs> I, know, I know. Well, well, that's the thing, too. A little bit later, I, I, I'm sure we'll get into it. But, uh, but you know, I had to, when I first started making music for, for games, they're like, yeah, 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 just make some stuff. And I was like, uh, how? And they're like, well, here's, I had like one sample of one little lick of something. And it was like, figure it out. I was like, okay space space dot db space and i was like and then we're off to the races but <laughs> you know it's annoying very annoying so how did you come across vegavox because I, I were you a member of nintendo age at that point already yeah i joined in 06 
Um, I think me and Frisbee were were twins. Like you joined the same day? Yeah. I think we're like August or so. I forget what my join date was. It used to be so proud. He he was was banned, so that's good company, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, but um yeah, so I was a I was a member of Nintendo Age by two thousand six. And you know, the stuff that the folks on NA were making were, you know, I'm sure you I know you guys have talked about it ad nauseum about pretty much, you know, this is kind of um an unscripted history of Nintendo. How do I put it? Like, you know, unscripted history of Nintendo homebrews, right? Mm-hmm. Like you guys are, are jumping around, but you, you are, you know, cycling through everybody that's had some kind of touch on this, this progress to whatever the most recent project blue or whatever the most recent is right now. Do try. Yeah. That's the goal anyway. Right. And it, and it, and it's nice. It feels natural. So I was I was there very early, and, and the stuff that was getting put out, you know, uh, I was trying to think of the first one, but you know, I think I think very early the the Halloween cart, uh, Nintendo Age Halloween cart was the first two thousand nine. Yeah, that was two thousand nine. Okay. Well, Sud- Sudoku predated that. Yep, two thousand seven. Yeah. You know they're always being worked on ahead of time. Wait, so yeah, what did you work on first? Yeah, so Nage Halloween was the first one. Oh, okay. oh, so your first project. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it was the first. the first project I got to contribute to. So, so I got on. Well, okay, I'll backtrack. So, yes, I was I was a member in 2006. God Almighty, but I had I had the idea like, hey, I'm gonna I'd I'd like to do this. I'd like to either do what Alex Moyer did, which means I'm gonna have to get a programmer, or I'm going to work on some games. And it's always in the back of my head, like, hey, that would be really cool to. Ha, you know contribute to to a nintendo game and you know after 94 that's that's gone so it was really nice to see that door open back up again so it had to be like 2000 yeah so 2008 i decided look if there's going to be any chance of me working on a project because uh, you watch a lot of projects bubble up and then die life happens we all experience it oh, especially back then hellraiser Right. <laughs> so you know from gatsby to hellraiser we're all like oh really you you, you gonna really do that but you know so we're all thinking hey that unicorn idea is, sounds great but will Jesus it ever happen Christ. <laughs> what is this i don't know i'll send you i'll google you a direction to the hospital Thank you. All right. So, so, but really, like, you know, people, stuff drags. So I figured, hey, you know what? The best way to do this is to kind of display my talents. You know, people don't want to have some weirdo on the forum with a stupid name. Like, let me just show you what I can do. So I got on my Mac after a lot of futzing around, figured out PPMCK was the way to go, learned it, you know, only like a month or so, whatever. And then figured out how to start to do music. And it's funny because I had, uh, I don't know what website it was. Maybe I was running a, whatever. I was running a satirical news website for a long time. So I think I was like posting them secretly up there and just like sending links on Facebook or whatever. But it became, it's going to be reworked, but it became the album uh, Level Zero. So I, I made 12 tracks and each 
were hopefully different than the the others to show display different styles kind of show different prowess as far as like hey this is how far i can stretch with my chord progression and and you know theme and feel and and all that jazz i wasn't really looking to push the envelope you know as far as technical like do some crazy slides up and you know ppm ppmck had a very limited amount of you know they the programmers call them op codes family tracker calls them effects but you know those those specific effects weren't really available so what were the earliest besides this project zero which i want to get back to in mm. a bit uh, what zero. were the early level zero so not project yep. I mean, confused with Project Blue. <laughs> um, so, what were the earliest games that people would uh, have found your work in? Nage Halloween, I believe, was about that time where they're like, "Sure, you know what? We did this bird pooping on pirates thing." I forget what the the engine was, but it was a very simple engine. Um, I think Parker used it later with Santa Claus dropping presents. <laughs> right? It's the same. It's the same thing. It could be. If we could get Brian on, he could tell us. I mean, to be fair, it probably took a day to code that engine, so... To be fair! <laughs> um, no, uh, it's true. Like, it is It is pretty basic. There's not the, There's not a lot of magic happening, single screen, all that. But I was excited, so I, I did, like, a little ditty for the Halloween, and then, at the same time, I was talking with Mario's Right Nut. Ah, yes. Um, oh, yeah. Very cool. So, <laughs> out Swanson. in Texas. So um, you, Kevin. <laughs> I'm, ch- I'm chatting with him and he's like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing this project, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, great. He's like, I'm like, hey, look, here's my music. This is what I do. Really want to do this. And, and I, I, I must have approached like four or five people and like, yeah, yeah, yeah well, I don't know. Yeah. So he was the first one that said yes. And I said, great. <laughs> His project uh, became slapping. The game slapping was uh a fairly, oh, I f- I'm, maybe I'm conflating with with the grind now, but both m- most of most of the early ga- a lot of the early games, I felt had a certain uh, immaturity about them in their content, you know, like in their in their reach, they didn't um, create a universe with rules and characters, and that changed over time, and then you felt accomplishment credits, new music. Now, early early games like that that predates some of the widely used sound engines like Famitone, right? Like, what what was oh god he using so... as a sound engine? Metal Slime had an engine that would kind of plug into uh, written in assembly that would plug into a game, and then the artist would. It, it was kind of just like a deep. It was just like a database dump pretty much is what the file looked like. It was like a .i file, something weird. And when it compiled, it would just shove it all you know, into the game and call it or whatever. So I think, I'm not sure how they banked it out. It got really weird. I, I, now I care. Before I didn't, give a, I didn't care at all. Um, I was just like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is great. I don't care. I'll, I'll, sure, I'll learn you a weirdo system. And um, so uh, MRN sent me kind of a, a hacked up thing that he had and i think maybe it had like the mario theme or something but it was like just a couple of lines of music and it was so obtuse and i'm looking at the oh there <laughs> it is <laughs> Pulling beat you to stuff. it sucker beat you to it um 
but I'm looking at it. And I'm like, God damn, this is insane. Like I'm going to have to learn. So I just spent all this time learning F, uh, PPMCK felt very strong with it enough to put out an album or t- 12 songs, which is, you know, plenty. I mean, whatever it's like 28 music, 26 minutes of music, but you know, it was enough to substantial music. And then, um, <laughs> I was like, I got, I got to learn how to, how to do this. So it, it's not, the, the music engine is not just doing dot db and then string oh there's my basic coming out um you know dollar sign ff dollar sign fe dollar sign ae you know and like trying to figure out what that looks like there's sub uh it's like in c when you include 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 so there's a whole bunch of these include files that def- that for assembly that define the length of each note that define the tr- uh, a whole bunch of w- volume envelope uh, volume envelopes the, the duty cycles or a duty cycle envelope really it just gets really really thick and you have total control of it which is fantastic but there was a lot of a lot of hunting to get that done so can we play some music from your early period here where you're working on Halloween, MRN stuff? Uh, maybe possibly, if you're cool with it, some not project level zero. There we go. Absolutely. Oh, sweet. Let's hear some of the early Z. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
Okay, so you started out with those projects. You started sort of getting your your bearings in the scene and sort of getting your legs, your sea legs, so to speak. Uh, Ooh, when did yeah. you feel that this was going to sort of become maybe not a substantial part of your life, but something that you were looking to do as often as possible and maybe you felt like, uh, I don't know, like it was real? Uh, I'm, I'm so glad you asked me that, Kevin, because it was the day that I kicked you off of the Xmas cart train. Oh. Would you say that you kicked me off or that I said, I don't want to do this anymore. Let's get this guy. Six of one. <laughs> Most of what I just said was correct. <laughs> um, I think it was, you know why? Because I hated 2012 so much. I, I don't know. I don't know. You had one Ouch. song in there. One song in there that drove me nuts. And I, I think I wrote Brian and I was like, hey, man. So I just finished the grind. You know, I, I'd love to do some tunes if if it's if that's ever a possibility. Or and he's like, he didn't tell me that you you basically quit. He's like, yeah, I guess. You know, <laughs> so understated, barely could get like three lines from him at most. You know, I'm like, okay, so so what do you want? Like, can I do a long for this? Can I have a loop? Do you should I worry about thing or something? Nothing. Just like sure. <laughs> oh, my god classic brian yes you have to learn to understand brian speak when you work with him and boy is that uh not easy but christmas christmas 13 um which i know bo that's your that's definitely your wife's favorite game oh she loves it loves it she's got world high score yeah that's a great soundtrack and every year i have to say you've met him he's a great guy and she's like oh yeah did this not kevin not Kevin. And this feud that you're speaking of comes up in, in the house. <laughs> yeah, all the time. All the time. I was like, kicked him right off. But then it was then then the torrents kind of open because you know, USB, retro USB still I mean to this day, whether their content ebbs or flows, they're still both a both a distributor and a creator, right? Like they're the Netflix of Nintendo uh, Ness Homebrew, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like 2012 is when Homebrew started picking up a little bit. You know, Nerdy Nights had been yeah. out a little bit. More developers were sort of finding your, their ways there and, you know, putting out some ideas to get some projects done. So I'm sure that at that point, finding some games to sort of uh, be featured in, you know, was becoming a little bit easier. As one who joined in 2013 and started this whole process, I can attest to that for sure. Uh, both of you were like legends at the time, and Zai, your music was just hitting mainstream with the grind, and it was like you were doing every single soundtrack, and I was like, man, this is neat stuff. Anything that came out, I was on it. And, I mean, who did Kevin Power? Vectrex. Was that a Vectrex joint? Yeah, that was a Ve- Vec game. I thought he. I thought someone else produced it, and he did it for them. I Kev Bot produced, or Kev Bot oh, released Kev Bot it. Did I think. It. Right. And Jim James have it before then, even. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. Was that a rig? Yeah, I did. I did rig as well. Well, that was funny because rig was the first random insult generator. Uh, was the first game that I that I did a cover for. He wanted CeeLo Green's uh, "Fu," mm-hmm. and I was like. Yeah, man, I can I can do that, and I must have had the YouTube clip going 
like every lick, every every dip of his voice, I tried to I tried to grab every because um, by then I pivoted away from PPMCK. I think Kevin Power was still using the Metal Slime uh, in-game assembly uh, music, engine. which was published as the Advanced Nerdy Night. Right. That's true. Yes, that is true. Right. It was tacked on in there, right? That and sound effects. But once that was out, uh, I think Famitone was just starting to come out. So now all of a sudden, that weird kind of culty tracker, Fami tracker, was a viable option as far as, you know, getting that music converted over assembly and then plugging it in and, and doing what needed to be done to, you know, call all the songs honestly so so during this time games were sort of transitioning from the simpler single screen or very basic you know two name table scrolling into some more advanced games so i i I imagine at this point you were getting to flex or showcase a little bit more of your work per project absolutely you could say flex um yes absolutely (laughs) weird flex but yes big nerd flex it was it was nice because a lot of these projects had their own they they definitely started to mature you know as we look at the early period a little clunky pretty immature you know a lot of dick and fart joke kind of stuff and now we're here in this in this middle period where all of a sudden we realize hey we can we can build a world we can make something bigger we can have an idea and run with it, a high concept idea from Kevin Power, Random Insult, which is kind of a one-off cornhole, which was another kind of, we're still back in the old age. And then- Cornball what? Cornhole? Oh. Can I say the whole thing? No, no, you may not. Yeah, you're not not talking about tailgate party, right? No, I'm saying cornhole cocksuckers. Corn- Ah, there it is. Cornball. Cornball. Is it cornball? Yes. God damn wow. it. Wow. I'm so, dis- <laughs> so disappointed in you. Can right I now. give you a clean cornball so you can just add cornball every time I said cornhole? Cornball? Cornball. Corn every ball. time you've said cornhole, I've been like, that's not an early game. Am I crazy? Like, You're like, that? No. No. <laughs> I was doing the same thing because you did cornhole. We're dingers late. Well. Yeah. We're yeah. dingers late. All right. So I'm not period. I was wondering if there was an older cornhole like game that I wasn't aware of. I'm going to change it right now to cornball and then hit save. All <laughs> save. <laughs> um, yeah, so cornball. But right, like that's that's still earlier kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Tw- 2013 to 2015, yeah, somewhere yeah, right in there. So we're, so we're in there. And then also in there, the incident. Mm. Now, that, that, you're right, immature, amateur work. No! Right it's a wow. ripoff, but it's fantastic. I mean, it's it's nothing new, and it didn't have a demo, oh, so gosh. I wasn't interested. No demo, not interested. So, would you say at the point that you got brought on for the incident, that had to have been the game that you had written the most music for, right? Uh, yeah, yes, I yes, I, it was not intentional. I think when, right? Because when we started, you're like, hey, I got this great idea. And I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, I'd love to do the music for it. And then, because I remember, like, <laughs> this makes me sad. Sidebar, can we RIP Nintendo H just for a moment? 
because all that fun private topic stuff is all gone. And sometimes I really like going back and looking at, you know, the beta testers complaining or us just like doing like crazy stuff or like laughing at whatever. Like, I yeah. just feel like that's missed. You know what it I mean? Is, a of, it a lot is, of dick jokes. Yeah, it's a strange <laughs> absence because you just assume something like that's always going to be there. Because, I mean, when you think of the history, and I'm sure this kills Bo, like a lot of the homebrew history of these development yeah. threads, and I'm sure he was invited and, and, you know, got screenshots of most of them. But, man, to think of all the stuff that came from Nintendo Age private threads, it's, it's oh. crazy to think about. It was just different, like, so there was always the public side of things where we were, you know, announcing projects or talking about struggles, but behind all that was a slew of private threads that were identical to the public threads in terms of, like, format, where we would have these long conversations, and we'd go through projects, and we'd develop them, and we would uh, ask on artists, musicians, things like that, the beta testers, and... I mean, I saved everything I could. I've got, I, I was invited to threads that I was never even a part of when they happened. But just that whole attitude. Now we just text each other, we hit each other up on Discord, and the communal aspect is sort of gone. But golly, those were some. It's I, weird. They're not, that, they're not that far away, but they were some good times. Yeah. You don't know, right? You don't know till, till they're gone. And that's that yeah. was a lot of it, but but so so working on the incident, it was definitely, God, how many like seven, eighteen tracks, something like that. Uh, I think fifteen, Four, fifteen oh, with the sort of between level <laughs> thing, right? Interstitial, right? All of a sudden, one day Kevin's like, "So I'm gonna have some quotes and uh, some stuff." No, I think you finished all the levels, and you're like, "All right, so I'm working on a story." <laughs> God damn it. It's like, I'm working <laughs> on a story and I'm thinking it's going to be this. I'm thinking it's going to be that. And I remember kind of fighting you on, on some of it. Like, look, you, and I still feel this way. Like, I feel like just with the first bot, just with, uh, I can't think of his name now. Sam. Um, with Sam, like, I feel like you had a fully realized story. But again, you know, I'm coming from, um, you know, I have a, I have a useless film degree. But I have a film to, like we learn. You, you <laughs> Does have, anybody have a useful one? <laughs> no, damn, no one. Um, but you know, you have a story. You have a character. They go through a change. They come out the other side. They're different. You explore the world that they're in. The you know the how they react to that world. How they act in that world. And Sam is is going through. We get that whole thing. I would have loved to see. And I listen. I know the incident re releases out. It's probably gone by now. It's probably sold out by now. But Mercy, what a fun! And I didn't even know it was like it was a clone or whatever until like wait. Someone's like, "Oh, it's this and that." I'm like, "Who gives a shit? This is amazing!" And on top of <laughs> and on top Kevin's of that, secret he he clones games but never tells you what they're from. Well, <laughs> I think he I think he takes games and makes them better. But, but oh yeah, agreed. right? Did you say something nice about me? That's new. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Listen, both I did, <laughs> and I said it before. I I really liked it. I I, I think, and, and the functionality of like, hey, look, here's how you solve it, and and to go through that and actually have the it go on autopilot and show you the the solution. It's just for for you know we we encapsulate what the what the NES is is capable of, and then to look at people work outside those parameters or or what we perceive those parameters to be is really cool 
to see like yeah no shit like huh that's really cool it'd be like incorporating flash saves but then actually putting them in the final release <laughs> yeah put in a fucking flash save no it's good it's it's really fun and it was really fun to see the testers go through it and it was very frustrating to try to to solve it but you know the incident is right in the middle i'm looking at my my list of of games and it's it's right there it's like cornball incident and then um kevin took uh, enigma core so maybe it was hybrids game yeah, yeah, that was Hybrid's game. Why don't you give us your whole list, your whole gameography right now, and then we will play some selections from what I would call your middle period. Fantastic. Okay. Starting with Nage <laughs> Halloween, Slappin', Xmas 2013, The Grind, Xmas 2014, Kevin Power, Random Insult Generator, Cornball, The Incident, Enigma Core, Xmas 2015, Deal or No Deal, UXO. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, no. Keep going. Keep going. UXO, Tailgate Party, Xmas 16, Free Cell, Wreck, Defense Tower 1990, Xmas 2018, Xmas 2019. Um, there's also Base Death Adventures. There's also, there's like three or four others that I think I'm uncredited or had to help out with. But that's it. For as far as games. Uncredited? Mm. Sounds mysterious. A ton of podcast work. I did uh, your, hey, did your oh, podcast. You, oh, yeah. But you, you don't know that we introduced this whole episode by playing the entire track that you gave us four years ago. Oh, yeah. Dude, why don't you intro it by playing my the orchestral remix? I just fixed it up. No, but even Kevin didn't know that there was a full version of the uh, original one. It just fades out. Wait. Orchestral remix. Let's talk. Oh about my this. god! I'll send it over. It's fantastic. You're not joking. No, it's it's a real. It, see, this is why I need the. I'm only like powering it about half speed. I need the keyboard to really play this whole thing for you. Yes, I, I have a, a fantastic orchestral remix. I'll put it in the Discord. Of the assembly line. Oh yeah, theme. it's a full orchestra. It's it's full. It's listen, fully realized. All right. mm, maybe maybe we should end the episode with that. I think you're right. Epic. I know we recorded most of the episode so yesterday, and we said we were going to play something from one of Zai's chiptune albums, but you know what? And I don't always like to break the fourth wall here and get out of order, but yeah. So I'm going to say in about ah, maybe an hour that we're going to play something else, but no, we're playing the orchestral version. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so we're going to hear some middle track or middle period tracks now, and then we will be back.
that is an impressive uh, body of work there from sort of your middle period where you where you start to hit your stride. You're, you're in a lot of different projects. Uh, what was it like sort of working in different genres and on different scales? Like the incident, you know, had 15, 20 tracks, whatever, whereas other games only had one or two. Like, how did you navigate all those waters? Maddening. Just <laughs> maddening. And Kevin was half of those, so awesome. Kevin's stuff was Kevin gave me the the least amount of well put it this way, when I when I work with You Who Shall Not Be Named. Yeah, no, like um I almost said producers, but you're programmers and producers, right? Cause because you're you're doing the, the programming work, but you're also working on the overall story packaging of the of the actual product. Kevin was definitely hands off. Most of them are. If I get any notes at all, it's usually kind of um, this amorphous. Can it be darker? Kind of <laughs> thing. <laughs> sure, it could be darker. I'll put more of the square in there, like make it hum or something. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like for for tailgate party, it started out very simple, and so I had, and, and I think the first um, menu screen was like corns. Um, around the screen, and then just it just said like tailgate party, or or I don't even think that was the original name of it. I can't recall. And 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 it looked very simple. So I I started out. It's kind of crappy, but I started out like boop bop boop bop, like a very kind of like hokey pokey kind of <laughs> vibe to it. And then sounds kind of Willy Wonka esque. It was sort of, um, but you know, it had a certain like you know midwestern, you know no sorry more hillbilly kind of you know blow it on a jug kind of thing but then Watch it, long island i got hey so um but then i get we, you know as as tim keeps going he he learns i guess is learning a, a ton and so you see these revisions coming in super fast and it gets more and more intricate so i kept i kept the first kind of theme of like the blowing on the jug, like the foom, 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 and then it get so the first iteration of that theme, it's encapsulated maybe eight bars, let's say, and then and then I think it repeats, and it's a little more involved. There's a the the second voice comes in, hits chords in the background, and then the third part comes in. And I think the bass moves around a lot and there's a bridge. No, maybe there's a bridge and the bass moves around a lot. That's the fourth part. But my, the, if you listen to the intro for tailgate, it really does progress the way that it progressed over the, like the six months. I kept going back to the, to the uh, first song, the intro song, hmm. you know, sometimes um, stuff like uh, UXO, which is a minesweeper game, uh, just uh, Neil, Neil Dolfino and Vetrix did it and it was they're like we have three boards nope psych we have four boards and i was like god okay and then <laughs> so like and this and this is the these are the themes and it was like ice sand dark i don't know something dark else. again i, I like, like it oh <laughs> chill do a chill track i think my chill track still has like a thing you know and and, and what else there was one uh there was one song that was like oh i i you know, so so I get very little amount of notes from folks, but sometimes I get to steer the ship a little bit. And I was like, "Hey, listen, what do you think about this idea? What if you pause it, and then I have a song, I, I have this drum beat that I really love, 
and and it's it's it gets kind of crazy but i'm trying to do more with the jumps because the noise track that we have for the for nintendo for the sound the soundtrack is just static that you're hitting high low short long whatever and it you can and you can also warp the sound a little so it sounds like a snare so you can kind of get an approximation of what a, a pretty simple drum kit would sound like so i've been screwing around with it thinking one of my tracks i'd love to have an album track that was just like a drum solo and i could never really get it off the ground the way i wanted to but this was an opportunity to make it so hey look this this is a this is a great place to pause run through this track and it was like 30 seconds of silence and then the track starts it was a mistake because i guarantee no one has heard that track oh bummer right but um you know it it it's really wild and then working outside of the nintendo age known developer known producer bubble please yes i want this there are people outside there oh makes my heart sad again i don't remember the guy's name now i'll look it up dude who did tower defense 1990 tower defense 1990 out of the blue someone on na was like hey check out this guy he's got a some weird clone kind of game whatever and he's also working on this game a, a tower defense game and i was like oh wow so i wrote the guy and we went back and forth and i was like do you need music this is what i've done <laughs> listen to listen to level one um no it was it was only like two years ago but uh, you know i was like hey you know this is what i've done this is the games i work on you know these are my albums what do you think and he's like yeah i love it i was like great and it was really fun working with him because he had no, no idea how to incorporate the, <laughs> the family tone stuff it was fun he needed a and and everyone told him this and he knew it it needed a, a graphics polish not like you know mt or or a uh a franken graphic kind of thing but just, just something yeah something it was it was pretty blotchy he didn't need to do layers and meta sprite and stuff but i don't know there there was definitely some room for expanse but that's that's how all all of you guys grow right like you, you realize where you're oh it would have been great to have that feature or oh i wish i w- would have done this better oh yeah you know so do you mind if we play uh some music from that game here yeah yeah absolutely and uh your your later period is sort of a whole like since then you've done uh, a few other things but uh we'd sort of like to get kind of your, where you're at currently
one thing we didn't get a chance to land on was albums. Yeah, that's the other thing you've done this whole time. You had these right. uh, soundtracks, but you were also doing your own musical album. So going back to Alex Moyer and and Teletime and and getting those those first ones out, you know, there's been a lot since, um, and not just from Moyer. You know, two way o three Puritans project project pal, a lot of INL stuff. Paul's been really good in releasing that Famicom Pico and Mega Rand and yeah oh my god I have Mega Rand stuff here yeah <laughs> I have a lot of cards I still need to get through but you know it's it's become a thing and so I think by the time 2014 came around I was like hey I have this album done I have I've, I had th- four albums done by now but I was like I want my fifth album to come out on a cart uh, Silicon Statue and I, I finished it. I played I played the first song. In fact, I, I titled the first song, Me and a Good Friend of Mine <laughs> are, are living in, in, in Los Angeles. Uh, my gamer friend, Ayelet, and I, we were like, hey, we're going to this barcade, DTL, uh, downtown LA, yeah, 82, 82. And it's, it's phenomenal. It's so great. And it's very hipster LA. You know, it's, it's like the epitome of the rebirth of, of downtown. And I play, I'm like, this song's about tonight. Like we play, I play the song like, oh, it's amazing. I'm so excited. I'm like, I'm going to put this on a cartridge. She's like, what? No, you're not. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to figure it out. I could get this on a cartridge. And I think, I don't, I don't know how, but I, Kevin, did I email you? Did I reach out? Do you remember how that happened? Uh, I honestly don't. Part of me thinks you might've posted a thread about wanting to do it and maybe yeah. i volunteered but i no i i don't remember for don't sure recall. but somehow i suckered you into it and um i had i had some art and kevin was kind enough to to compile it and god you did so much you put in a uh a track counter you wrote a little script a little uh you're calling everything scripts you wrote a little script uh about a, <laughs> a track counter Dude. and a um uh, start gets you over to a credit screen kind of thing and um you know all of a sudden i had a all of a sudden i had, had a, a rom file and yeah it, it was it was one of those things that i was trying to figure out how do i go from rom to cartridge <laughs> and, and and i was still talking with mrn for the longest time and he was like here's what you do get a bunch of donor cards here's the boards you need for Enrom, oh. and I'm like, oh, okay, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in my my office basement now. I can see my my box. Thank God it has dust on it now. Of my desolder um, thing I got from a Radio Shack, just a nightmare. But I had all these. That's how you're dating yourself. Yeah, <laughs> it's bad news, man. And it was like an MM one, whatever board it was. It was like some, you know, whatever the Enron board was. I was like, yeah, great. You know, I went and bought a bunch of stack ups, or who cares. And and desoldered them all, and then did the wiring. And one worked, you know. He gave me a bunch of chips that he burnt and whatever, and it was good. But I was like, this does not look professional. Like I wanted to look so good. <laughs> and I started talking with Paul over at Infinite Nest, Nest Lives, and he and he, you know, this is 2014, 2015, or something like that. And he was just kind of getting off the ground too. He had some stuff in the in the first version, the second version of the of the the Kazoo thing. And so he's like, all right, yeah, I can do, you know, this. And it was an upfront fee. And I had to tell my wife, like, hey, listen, I'm gonna <laughs> s- these will sell. 
Like, I <laughs> promise you. She's like, no, I don't think that's going to fly. So I started a, a pre-sale thread. I was like, don't give me money. Just tell me you're going to buy them so I can convince my wife <laughs> that this is going to work. More than half the battle. Yeah. And I was like, that's all I need to do. And it did. I got, you know, I, I think I made 50 and I sold 47. And now I sold like whatever it is, 80, 100, something. And then, you know, I was off to the races. But, um, and then I, I started going backwards. I know you guys talked about, about four. You know, that was my sixth album, but my, my fourth. Oh, you know why? Because then I re released Welcome to Evil on, uh, on a cartridge, Thornby on cartridge. Which I which I remastered and and actually got them all together, so it's one long, basically one long song. I don't know if it played that way, but that's what the intent. <laughs> and then four came out, which is actually about. It was actually yes because it was my fourth production album, but it was actually also because you only used four channels, right? I four and, and I use right. I use four duty cycles, which is you know the wavelength. It, there's Nintendo limits you to only four different shapes of waves. Which is crazy because Kevin was like, "This is hot garbage." Like there were so many opcode, there were so many effects. It 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 was so much, but it it got it had a very different feel than the other ones for sure. Oh wait, I'm getting flashbacks now to you coming over to my house in Buffalo mm -hmm. or apartment, whatever, and we flashed a whole bunch of boards together. Yep. But which one was that? I think that was an early. I think it was like a Thornby one. Thorn yeah, it was Thornby or Maybe. Evil. Yeah, one of the two. One of those two. And funny enough, my stuff is about that. If you're st if you're ever in the greater Buffalo area, uh, Ogie Games is is slowly, unfortunately, going out of business. They're slowly shuttering oh. shops. But oh, that's sad. I know Kevin can't keep another Kevin. Ugh, always another. For some for somehow <laughs> I I a friend my business partner knew the the precedent of ogie games and ha it set me up with a pitch meeting and i went in there the way i started with you guys like when i was a kid we were given nintendo as a punishment <laughs> i left the nintendo he's like yeah what 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 you, what, you want to put this in the stores I'm like yeah he's like yeah that's great i was like all right thanks man <laughs> here's the key fellas know when you've won pack it up walk away that's i was right. like great this is gr great thanks man high five see ya so, but I still have a couple. I still have al albums in in stores. I still have cartridges in stores. And I feel like I should. Get, I'm getting more online sales than I in in store sales. But yeah, it's it's been interesting to like get these get these things on cart and then have them, you know, like physically in your hand. And and I'm sure both of you have seen ha had the experience rather of looking at you know 50 or 100 cart run. All in a row in one of those big cars before you box them all up and, go, oh, and it's stickered. so glorious. And oh, you're like, yeah. This is so great. That, I take pictures every single time because every time there's every something awe inspiring about seeing that many copies of something that you've done. It's, it's almost yeah. hip hypnotizing. It's so crazy. One of my ideas, one of my first ideas was to put a sticker inside of each copy with a different letter that would spell out something <laughs> but oh. instead spoiler there's actually stickers on the inside of all my cartridges that just have say different stuff so if you ever get really bored crack open a cartridge see so what's in there would you say that your experience releasing music on an album is 
like, do you get a different feeling than you do releasing music on in a game? Like, is it is one more or less special than the other, or more or less meaningful? Yeah, it's it's so different. Every album is so different, and like some of the games, I'm I'm really really proud of. I loved. I know it's such a small game, Enigma Core, which was like passed from hybrid to um uh Kevin hey to you know like it just it was it was it, it just passed through so many hands finally released and I there's two track I think I had two tracks on it and I love those songs and no one hears them and it, I go back maybe once a month and listen to the first track and I love it so much I still have a copy if anyone's interested in buying it oh. <laughs> shameless okay. it's you know. for sale buy it right now <laughs> there's an interesting process with every one of these music, whether it's a game or an album, the albums are far more personal and the albums are, it's tough to, I'm sure you guys run into this too, as programmers to edit yourself or to step back, you know, like, am I on the right path? Is this the right way to go? Hmm. Is this what I want to say? Question. Right. Like with every turn and sometimes like i don't care this sounds great and people are like that sounds great i was like yeah that's, that's great you know it's a song i love it uh shoot i mean you just you just set me up i hate to say this but this is what we're gonna have to do with you mm. there's too much here we we need to talk to you again um we're gonna have to kill you off right now damn r.i.p is that too cold no too cold I'll- too cold i thought i bu- i thought i built him up with we'll have you back no, that's great. Let's bring them back. Yeah, let's let them be back. I know you're working on some current stuff. Mm. Uh, it's more chiptune album related. I know you're you're doing new soundtracks, stuff like that. Man, you've just done so much. Yeah, l- l- not a lot of time. Got to got to get it all in while you can. Well, it's great having you on. I'm sorry yeah. we have to kind of cut this short. Um, I, I mean, we could, you did, you've done like 20 plus games. We could look at any of those and and kind of spend some time. But I think I think we're gonna play some music from your end period and leave listeners. Uh, what's that? Wanting Satisfied more? and wanting more. Unsatisfied and wanting more. Like every woman I've ever been with. <laughs>
Thank you so much for having me on. Please check out bleepboprecords.com or bleepbop.com. That's B-L-E-E-P-B-O-P.com. Or follow Bleepbop Records on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, or SoundCloud.
So we are here with the other Thomas, Thomas number two, because we have such variety in names in the community. I don't like that you call him Thomas number two, because in many ways, he's number one in my heart. Wow. Aww. That's really, that. really nice. Oh, I have an uncle also named Thomas, so maybe you are number two. I have some ancient relative who was named Thomas, and the only thing I know about them, I have this goblet. It's like a red glass goblet that says Thomas 1891 on it. They conquered Ireland? They did something. I'm pretty they sure got that's, a goblet for it. That's the best opening line of any interview we've ever done. <laughs> Just straight up talking about a goblet. Yeah, it sits on my, uh, my coffee table. Huh. That seems unsafe. I put my trinkets in it. Did you ever put a match in it and call it the goblet of fire? No, but I will tonight. Okay. <laughs> That's a Harry Potter reference. Kevin, yeah. you're skipping ahead here, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. We are, we are here with Human Thomas. Uh, Hello. Can you say your last name? Do you, do you like my, that? Or no? My last name is Cipollone. It means large onion in Italian language. God. Hey, look at that. Look at that. Um, so, yeah, you've done a lot over the years in the community. I've done a few. You are rather famous these days. Um, to be too big of an onion there. <laughs> and uh, I thought that would get get better response, but whatever. Uh, can you sort of tell us, you know, what are you probably most famous for as a single work or series? I started with Haunted. I basically wouldn't have. I mean, it was totally by chance that I even got into making Nintendo games at all, or min- making Nintendo music at all. My friend sent me. I think it was a Reddit post from that at the time I didn't know who it was. My friend sends me this Reddit post and he's like, Hey, these people are trying to like, they just need somebody to make music for a Nintendo game. You should do it. And at the time I had made a bunch of uh, bullshit, like faux eight bit stuff or like stuff that was inspired by super Nintendo, but I didn't know anything about the restraints at that point in time. I just sent it all to them. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll use you. And so that's how I got involved with making this stuff for 185. Them being them being Greg and Tim, sorry. Retrotainment as a whole. So you just happen to live up where they live? Yeah, I just happen to live here. And I mean, I it gets weirder to be honest. Oh, okay. I get the, I get the Reddit post, I send them the stuff, I start working on games after or on songs after they're like, "Okay, yeah, you're in." And all the time I'm going about my business, living my regular life. And Greg, I didn't know, like, I actually knew Greg. And I didn't know that they were making this game. Like, to the point where I was already making songs for the game, for 185. And I went to the Renaissance Festival with Greg and a group of people. And we're just, <laughs> we're both there already working on this game together and we don't even know it. <laughs> And then we just like found out like a few weeks later, I guess. I just assumed this whole time that you were also childhood friends with them. I thought you guys were like a crew. No, they grew up in Greensburg and I have always lived in Pittsburgh. So how was it revealed that were you guys together when you both came to the realization that you were working together already? So... Greg like plays hockey and I went to this bar 
and he was there. But I think when we were also supposed to meet there, like for the first time to talk about the game. And then it just, it was like, Oh, you're the guy. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy, like I'm the guy making the music. So <laughs> that's kind of like a we... sleepless in Seattle thing. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I don't know how we didn't know, but we didn't know. That's crazy. So yeah, I mean, Haunted 85, that's where it all started right there. Okay. And so that's what people know you for. I mean, that initially, like, that's what they know you for. And they still know you as that is, you know, you've done most, if not all, the retrotainment music. You've done a lot of stuff for Kevin and myself, uh, several other people, I'm sure. Yes. Where did you actually, like, begin with music, uh, NES or otherwise? Well, I, I had been playing the guitar since I was 11. My a family friend gave me uh, like a classical nylon string guitar and I started taking some lessons and that was it. And then otherwise that I pretty much learned everything I knew about music by listening to Nintendo and Super Nintendo games. All of my influences are pretty much come from video games. Well, not all of them, but a whole lot of them. My sensibilities. Do you play any other instruments or anything? I am I am proficient with the guitar. I understand the piano but cannot perform on it. And I kind of play the drums for fun. What uh what inspired you? Did you did you reach out to acquire that guitar or was it just gifted to you? It was gifted to me after I decided that I wanted to start taking lessons. What inspired you to want to start playing guitar? Um I don't know, just liking like just liking the guitar and liking music in general. <laughs> like we had a bunch of records and as you know, we had a bunch of records laying around and I was always listening to music. And I just was like, I think the guitar is sweet, so let's do that. And you said you were how old? I was eleven. What does what records are eleven year old Thomas listening to? Oh boy. My parents had a tons of classic rock. Just like a bunch of the hits, you know. So were you into it? Because you said most of your like sort of inspiration came from video game music. Like, were you inspired by classic rock music also? Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, before I really understood, the thing is, I didn't understand that video games were teaching me anything like musically until until I was like in my 20s, I guess. Like, I didn't understand how much influence that had on me and how much it was just beat into my brain that like oh, Mega Man 2 is why I love like guitar harmony so much or the concept of harmony because it's all based on sweet harmonies, like yeah. all of the melodies are. Hmm. So you grew up playing the NES, the Super Nintendo, Sega oh, yeah. stuff. Fill in the blanks there. <laughs> uh, I mean, our first system was the Atari 2600. And I mean, I don't remember a lot about that. I remember we had we had pole position and we had soccer and, you know, I don't think that the uh, soundtracks for those are very memorable. <laughs> and then we had the Nintendo and a super Nintendo and the music making thing on Mario paint was just like, Oh, Mario paint. There it is. There it is. You know, I'm like, okay, this is going to teach me everything I need to know as uh, whatever, however old I was at that point in time. And I would swap out the instruments and I would change the notes. And it was just a cool way to learn. Did you say you put a lot of time into Mario Paint? Um, 
like how, how much time would you say you put into messing around on there? I mean, we had it and I was always in the basement playing it. And I, I'm sure that my family hated me for it because I was chewing up a whole TV. And then anytime I would have something prepared that I wanted them to listen to, I'd bring them all downstairs. No one was really interested in hearing what I was fucking around on doing there, but they came down and they entertained it a little bit. It was nice. I put a lot of hours in on it. When you were messing around on there, did you know at that point that like, that's something you truly wanted to like do in the future? Like you wanted, did you ever have any sort of grand aspirations of doing music for anyone else's actual video games? I think at that point I had, I was just like stoked that there was a, that there was something that made it that accessible. Like for a kid that was my age, just to go in and like dig around and just see what was really possible with like music in general. And that rolled into me being just like obsessed with the way that that music sounded. And it's just, I don't know. It's just so awesome. What was the transition then once you started to actually do you said faux video oh, game yeah. music, but like did were using trackers or which ones? Like how'd that all start? Like when I first started making music on my own outside of like I mean, I started being in a band when I was like fourteen or fifteen with just like we were just playing like shitty punk rock. Seems to be a Pittsburgh thing. Oh yeah, shitty punk punk rock is pretty Pittsburgh. <laughs> Tim Greg, you <laughs> But uh, so when I was like making music on my own, I started I had like Fruity Loops or something. And that's like where I started just arranging stuff, put in headphones and just like go for it. And that at that point, you could use these things called sound fonts. And I was just like, all right, give me the sound font for F-Zero. I'm going to make something my own song that sounds like it came from F-Zero. I'm going to make my own song that sounds like it came from, you know, Mega Man X. And what program is this? Fruity Loops? Or, that, or that, was in Fruity, that was in Fruity Loops at that time, okay. yeah. Dude, I've never even heard of these things. That was a solid guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> I just thought he was speaking nonsense. It's called FL Studio now. They've, they've dropped the Fruity Loops. Well, they've made it into just letters, which is fine. But then, you know, I mean, you know, music in general to everyone is always going left to right. You know, you're reading left to right. Or if you're in Fruity Loops and you're using the piano roll, it's moving left to right. Everything. And then you get to a tracker world. You know, I open up Family Tracker for the first time and I'm like, why is anyone <laughs> making music this way? This is out of control. I don't understand. And, you know, the, the learning curve is, is pretty high for someone who didn't understand. And especially, you know, what I didn't find out until well after 85 was complete is that I was just blowing away the restrictions of what like Famitone was supposed to be able to handle in there. You know, <laughs> like Brad Smith essentially totally redid my soundtrack because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I was using all these effects in Famitracker that shouldn't have been there and they had to help out. And then afterwards, you know, for 86, I had to reel it back and actually learn what the heck was going on. Now, for people who don't know, who are listening, you know, you mentioned that most music is read left to right. Yeah. Gamma Tracker or trackers in general typically organize music vertically. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. 
It's like trying to read a newspaper when somebody's holding, pulling it out of your hands. That's a really good analogy. But then they put it, then they put it back in your hands at the bottom and it just keeps going. Yeah, it does loop. <laughs> so when you saw the ad on Reddit for yeah. the retrotainment guys looking for someone to do music, when you sent a message at that point, you had never messed around with Famitracker before. Like Famitracker, when you opened it up for the first time, it was after you were already hired to do the music. It was a 100% foreign concept to me. Holy cow. um, I think that somewhere (laughs) in our messaging back and forth, he was like, people use this. Like he found out about family tracker (laughs) on, on Nintendo age or something. And he was, and he was like, check this out. And so I think I just got in there and tried to make a song. Like, I think before they, they said, okay, you're hired. I maybe made one tune, which is the, last the last level of haunted 85 is the first song i ever made for the nintendo wow interesting that's incredible like me personally like there's so many like stepping stones of me getting to the point where i can produce something that's listenable but you right out of the gate produce something that's (laughs) in a game that holds up you know across the soundtrack of the game is going to be one of the more unique uh, origin stories, I think. Yeah, that's crazy. It's been really fun. I mean, having knowledge of music in general and like electronic music helped me make it, you know, it's not going to sound like a plate of farts. I'm going to actually make a song. I mean, you know, I'm just trying. I'm trying my best. Did you say a plate of farts? Yeah, a plate of farts. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I just yeah. want to bring attention because that is, that's beautiful. I mean, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that phrase is itself music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they, are, if they were considering hiring me, I was going to try and make sure it sounded like, you know, now when I listen back to 85, I'm, I'm like, wow, like, sometimes I'm like, what was I thinking? Uh, there are songs that on there that I love and I consider like retooling them every now and then, but then, you know, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Once you start going into the tinkering with old projects, it's a slippery slope as I'm finding out right now. It really is. Oh, here's a question. Um, cause I, I want to play, we want to play some stuff from kind of early period. Sure. You did, you did 85 and then you immediately did 86. Is there anything else from that? Like kind of, Genesis? Uh, I think the second game that I did was Kevin's Scramble Port. Damn. Like, is this stuff you're still proud of? Can can we play some of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't listened to it in a while, but I'm, I think that it probably holds up or at least serves its purpose. I put the game in, I want to say two weeks ago for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah. And I was very impressed. So yeah, I, would I should love revisit to play that. that scramble or 85. I should revisit both, but I should, I haven't thought about the, what the music is on scramble in a while. Let's put it on. I think there's yeah. like two or three tracks, right? Uh, I know you did a title song and a gameplay song and the gameplay tune is, is pretty long. <sighs> cause I, I kept telling you to add, you know, cause, cause the game is sort of one progressive, right long you know level so to speak so i kept telling you like 
you know, I need another section. I need another section. Like, make it longer. So, yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to play that. Yeah, well, uh, sure. We can listen to that song. Cool. Okay, let's. Uh, we're gonna do that now. You can check the listings for the actual tracks. We're not gonna bore you with a list of them right here, but uh, here's some music from Thomas's uh, early period. some of Halloween 85 and Scramble, sort of the, the early period of Thomas. The, it's weird to me because like Retrotainment itself and, and Haunted Halloween 85, it's just this giant, complete work with nothing before it. That's actually a good point. He does sort yeah. of follow the same coming out of nowhere <laughs> full force. Well, and you did come out of nowhere, but after 85 and you started to work with a lot of people in the community can you sort of tell us about what that process has been like worked with what games but also like just 
now that you know, I'm sure a lot of people want to know how to get started with this stuff. How'd you get started? Well, I I wish that early on what I had was just like a more prepared understanding of what I couldn't do because everyone thinks they're just going to download FamiTracker. I mean, not everyone. There's people that understand there are restrictions, but like it just kind of, I could have been better sooner had I fully understood what the restrictions of the Nintendo were versus family tracker because you get family tracker and you're like, Oh, here's all these effects and here's this volume thing. And there's no rules. It's just not the way it is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so the restrictions are dictated by the sound engine. Yeah. By the that sound engine. game is using and family tracker itself has no restrictions built in. Correct. Like, a lot of games are using FamiTracker 2. I mean, not FamiTracker, FamiTone 2. I'm sorry. And it's a good sound engine. But boy, I wish that I couldn't do all the stuff that I thought I was going to be able to do. <laughs> that, is a, that is a big thing. Like, the difference between... Like, you have to... The programmer has to build the sound engine. Somebody could build something that does everything FamiTracker does. It would either require special chips, uh, extra memory, tons of CPU time, stuff like that. It's not practical. Right. I'm going with that. So that that's something to keep in mind. There was a great deal of frustration in, like, why doesn't this work? Why doesn't, like, I would get a build of the game back? And I'd be like, I don't understand why it doesn't sound the way it's supposed to. When in reality, I just didn't know. So and if I could people- change one... I just want to say for people that don't know the restrictions of Famitone 2, you can't use any built-in effects. You Mm -hmm. can't use the volume channel at all. All the volume has to be actually built into the individual instruments. Lots of, lots of restrictions that you wouldn't normally think they don't make sense to anyone that doesn't actually know. Right. And I'm sure if I opened up the haunted 85 soundtrack files right now, I would want to rip my hair out looking at them. (laughs) you've come a long way since then i i have learned significantly and if i were giving anyone advice who is trying to start to make game music for the nintendo it's just don't use don't use the volume channel don't assume you can use the volume channel and don't assume that you can use the effects channel just don't do it that's my best piece of advice (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, definitely sit down with the programmer if you're working for a specific game and ask them what sound engine they're using and what you can and can't do. And and here's another thing. As in in something that I'm really getting involved with now is like as an outside person before I wasn't I could have been given the Famitone 2 document and been like they could have been slapped in front of me and they could have said follow these rules, read the read me. And I would have known, but that didn't happen because we were just kind of disconnected in the beginning. We didn't have that, that structure and that's no one's fault. It was also, I mean, I'd say it's more my fault than anything. I could have looked into it. I could ask these questions, but I didn't know that I had to ask those questions. I will say from working with you, I I haven't always understood, at least when we first started, like, no, as much as I thought that I think you knew, thought that you knew. I didn't realize like how much you were still like muddling through. It's very interesting to, to learn all this now. I mean, to be honest, 
I didn't truly understand how sound engines were functioning and how to really work with them and test myself until like within the past year. And I don't know how many games I've done between now and 85, but I really didn't know what the hell I was doing until about now. Well, you and I have sat down and gone through the documents together and because I don't know. I mean, I'm using Shiru's sound engine. I don't know how much memory songs take or what the CPU speed is or any of that. And you and I have sat there and like analyzed mm-hmm. everything. And it's like, oh, shoot, like this is what it's doing. It's, no, it's kind of like black magic. <laughs> it's really nice to know how big the songs are. I have no clue. I just, I just, before this, I just always said, musician, do your stuff. I'll make it fit. <laughs> oh, man. You can, you can open it up. You can dig, you can peel back the layers and you can, you can think that something you have arranged in a song is 100% necessary until you look at how big the song is. And then you can get rid of it and no one will notice. You might not even notice as the composer, composer that you've removed like this one beat. And it's going to make a huge difference because it's going to re- remove a whole frame and it's going to remove like, I don't know how many bytes, but sometimes you're lucky and you, you remove a lot. Every bite counts. No kind of magic. Yeah, it's definitely magic. So who did you, I guess, work with first after the Retrotainment guys and how did that sort of come about? I still think that first after Retrotainment was Kevin. And that was first Scramble. And then after that, Boy, I don't even know what I've made. Uh, <laughs> it's all a blur. <laughs> let's see. I uh, let's see. Um, what have I done? I have like a stack of all my cartridges downstairs of stuff that I've done. Oh, another one that I did that was pretty funny. Uh, it's like a Christmas cartridge that's just music. And that was pretty early on. I can't remember. Did you do the Holly Jolly Nest Mix? Yeah. Oh, okay. That is, yeah, that makes sense. For the Holly Jolly Nest Mix, I, I think it's 25 tunes. He just gave me a pile of songs that were like uh, open. Public you domain. Know. Yeah, public yeah. domain. And I just did my own versions of them. That was great. We should play one of those songs. Yeah. It's out of season. I'm sorry. But Maybe it will be funny just to toss one in. If not, that's fine too. No, let's do it. Um, we'll Boy, get gotta, to that. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Yeah. So t- I want to hear more about like your how you work with other people and how how all that looks. Well, let's let's talk about Scramble then. Yeah. Okay. So Scramble, in particular, I think I was just like, what is this game? I think I've played Scramble in the arcade at one point in time in my life, and it right. doesn't have it doesn't have music. Right. It doesn't. So I think what I told you is I want music that sounds like you're in a cave. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. Oh, I know all about that. Yeah, clearly, because you did it. <laughs> and you sent I mean, it to me, and when I put it in the game, you know, I think it, I think the turnaround was really fast. Like, I told you kind of the idea, that idea, I want it to sound like it's in a cave. I want to say you had something to me in, like, a matter of one or two days like it was stupid fast yeah i i think a lot of people make music that is intended to make people feel emotions but i don't want to do that i want to make music and i aim to make music that 
makes people feel like they're in a certain environment. Like when you told me when someone says, I want to sound like I'm in a cave, that's easy. If someone's like, I want to sound like I'm on a boat on the Nile, that's totally doable. But if somebody came to me and asked for a song that's going to make them cry, I can't do that. Hmm. I'll remember this. <laughs> well, when I put the music in the game for the first time and fired it up, it seemed like it was sort of meant to be there, like it just worked. So I don't even think, the only feedback I think I gave you was, I need it to be longer. Because, <laughs> you know, the, the game has multiple sections. I want, I want the music to go, I want there to be like a, a part B. Like there's this A section, this A melodic section, I want there to be a B melodic section. Just, just yeah. keep going. And one or two days later, you know, here's this twice as long tune that, again, just sort of fit perfectly. So very easy to work with, I will say. I appreciate that. I think one big thing is a lot of other people who are coming to me for music, you know, they're like, oh, I want like two or three songs, which is a big change from Haunted Games and Full Quiet. It's like I have over 20 songs in all of those games. And it's nice to just be able to kind of focus on one or two little pieces rather than having like a whole overarching kind of kind of concept. How long does it take you to sit down and knock out an idea? Like maybe not a finished piece, but do you have a hard time? Do you ever have a hard time? Cause I've worked with you a few times and you always seem to have a very quick turnaround. Do you ever have writer's block? It kind of like ebbs and flows. Some days I'll sit down and try and write something new I think the problem is if I if I'm like trying too hard or thinking too hard about it, then nothing good will come out. But physical impotence. Yes. But if somebody if somebody says it comes with a new project or a new project and they have like a pretty solid idea of what they want, I'm always going to ask for their references. And if their references, I think, are accurate, then I'm going to try and focus in that direction. I can get carried away, though. Musical references? Yeah, musical references. Oh, okay. But then as far as turnaround time goes, like if I'm feeling it, it can be, I can like have a pretty good idea down in like an hour or two, but then I'm going to bounce it out and I'm going to listen to it in my car for like the next two days on loop mm -hmm. because I'm going to pick apart, even if I think it's perfect when I, I'm done working on it for the first time, I'm going to find a lot of stuff that I think is wrong with it later on. Turnaround time is very impressive because, you know, when you're, you're developing a game and you're programming it and you're doing all this stuff, you don't always realize, like, shoot, I should have, like, let them know months ago I, I need this. I wasn't ready for it. Now I am. And now I want it right now. And enough, you're handing it to people right now. <laughs> We've worked together three, four, five times now. And every time it's just like, Ooh, I have stuff to put in here tomorrow. Yeah, we can make that happen. Very nice. It's nice. You guys are good to work with. It's easy. You've worked with us. You've worked with uh, Retrotainment. Mm -hmm. You've worked with Matt Bepp on the Christmas one that we all sort of forgot about. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've, uh, I did something for Nathan. What'd you do for him? Um, Nguna. This new, the, and okay. the one that's going to be on the NES. Are we allowed to talk about that? Um, no, 
we'll ask him and we'll leave it in if he says okay. And if not, we'll cut this out and you'll never hear it. But uh, I think yeah, that's totally fine. I think you just told a bunch of people that, yeah, you're doing the music for Anguna. So awesome. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I wasn't sure. But uh, yeah, so that one, let's see. I did. I did your convention quest that we know about that. I did. That was a collective one. I guess you, yeah, you do music for the 6502 collective as well. I need a list. I need a comprehensive list. I have a pile. Can I run downstairs real quick? Yeah, yeah, go for it. All right, give me one second. Play. In the meantime, we will play one of your Christmas songs because it's not going to fit with anything else we're playing later. Cool. So now that I'm back and I've looked at my stack of cartridges of stuff that I've made, I guess, or unless there's ones that I don't have, I haven't done a ton. All right. So I got scramble here. I got 185, 186, the Holly Jolly NES mix or NES mix. Uh, There's something somebody made this. It's called shmup speed. Yep. It's just a cart. You never remember? You guys want to know what I'm talking about here? I mean, I programmed it, so yes. Oh, yeah, you, you <laughs> programmed it. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I did boxes for that. Son of a gun. See, it, it all slips, <laughs> away, slips away. I did the tune on the Larry cart. Oh, that's right. The new one. The new one? Yeah. yeah. I, told I, him to, uh, I told him to remix the theme song. Yeah, I remake or I re I recreated it. Yeah, it was awesome. Nice. Um, and then uh, convention quest. I, I can't. I honestly, maybe a few other things in in Guna, like I said. Uh, you've got some other stuff in the works that hasn't been released yet. Right, in full quiet, and well, that's retrotainment. And then other stuff that I'm doing with you, Bo. We'll get to that in just a sec. We'll get to that in a sec. Okay, um, yes. They play some stuff from like your published stuff beyond uh, 85 and Scramble? Yeah. Any specific things that you're particularly proud of that really stand out to you now as you sort of got into your stride and whatnot? I think that the title screen for Convention Quest is awesome. Oh, your convention quest music? And I would almost <laughs> put this in your late period because we just did this last yeah, year. Yeah, that's uh, true, late period. Yeah, we'll play some of that. I, the, your convention quest music, when you talk about atmosphere and creating like locations, yeah, because it was all set in the same world and just different days, and I needed different sort of vibes. Like You just nailed that. I know you're not doing emotion. You're doing, doing atmosphere, but you nailed emotion. Okay. Antic, laid back, setting up, tearing down. Like it was all so good. I appreciate that. 
and you can't, didn't you come up with the name for the uh, chip tuner in that? I did. I can't remember what it was. Uh, simply chips. <laughs> That's pretty good. Simply chips. Throw you in any game. That's your alter ego. Simply chips. Just... No, no dip necessary. It's simply chips. <laughs> oh, <it's> wonderful. <laughs> All right. Anything else from this period that you want us to play? Otherwise, we'll just sort of. Well, I'm going to let you pick because I'm going to make you do the work. But uh, let's see. I mean, we might as well, you know, like I can't remember what the shmup speed sounds like. It's probably only 60 seconds long. We just toss it in there. Here's here's a smattering of a big onion. So that was some more good music by Thomas. We're keeping this going here. So clearly, you know, even from the small snippet that we've played from these previous few projects, it's obvious you've worked with a number of people. You know, we have a a pretty decent listenership for this podcast, and there might be someone listening who needs music for a project that they have. So 
if they wanted to get in contact with you directly, how would they go about that? Uh, I think most people kind of hit me up on Twitter or they can just email me if they want. It's the human Thomas at gmail.com. That's my email address. And what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter, I think is also the human Thomas or it's at the human Thomas, but I can't remember if the, the is in there. I'm going to confirm that right now. Yes, it is at the human Thomas. And yeah, you can just message me or whatever you got to do. It's not at human Thomas, the it's not, <laughs> it's not that it is. Oh, look at you. So yeah. do you have any, like when someone comes to you and wants to incorporate you into their project, like, do you sort of look at the project and decide if you want to do it? Or do you take everything that comes at you? Like, how do you pick and choose which projects you want to be involved in? I mean, I like to, I like to take as much as I can get, to be honest. I like to have like it, having more stuff to work on just like mix, lets me mix it up. If I hit a wall with one project, it's nice to, instead of stop entirely, just turn, focus on something else for a little bit. It helps me like, just get in a different headspace and then I turn back to the one I'm stuck on and keep going. It's nice to have more options. So what are you kind of doing looking ahead? Like, do you have projects on the plate? Which I know you do because some of them are with me, but (laughs) what's in the future for the human Thomas, the so (laughs) right now, like you said, I'm doing, I think two or three games with you, Bo. And I'm working on full quiet still kind of uh, I thought I was done with music and now I'm thinking maybe I'm going to redo a few things. Shaving those bites. Yeah, I'm I'm shaving the bites down and that's really nice. Like, I think I've made already two different versions of that soundtrack and I think I'm going to do a third. And then, you know, whichever one I like the best, I'll just pick and choose from. Uh, And then I'm working on a Super Nintendo game for somebody else. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. Yes. You're working on a Super Nintendo game? I'm working on a Super Nintendo game. Are there trackers for Super Nintendo? I think that there's only one, and the one that I used is actually pretty incredibly good. Well, I mean, well, I've got some gripes with it. Like, well, for, for instance, I'm trying to open it right now. It's not showing up on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, can what's your question? Well, I know that you talked about how you wished when you came, you know, when you started doing NES music, that you had a better understanding of the limitations. Like, are there inherent limitations for Super Nintendo music? Like, are there things in that program you can't use? Oh, yeah. Like, well, are, I'm, I'm naive in this regard, so teach me. Okay, the restrictions, the great thing about working for the Super Nintendo and what is that it has eight channels instead of four. And you can use those channels for any sounding instrument that you want because it's all sample based. It's not it's not restricted to, um, you know, two pulse waves, a triangle wave and a noise channel. The Super Nintendo, every single channel is sample based. So if I wanted every channel to be you know, a tuba, I could do that. I would be a maniac, but that is something that I could do. (laughs) Eight tubas. I like it. I want a tuba sound cart on Super Nintendo. We can make what we need. We can make that happen. So honestly, what was great about starting to work on the Super Nintendo is 
you can, what I did was I built my own sample bank. You know, there's tons of sample banks out there of pre-recorded music, but I, you know, I recorded a guitar playing a major chord, a guitar playing a minor chord. I recorded a saxophone, uh, uh, an accordion, a bass guitar, every regular drum. And I smashed all those samples in there, downsampled them so they fit. And then I just composed the tunes. The only problem with this tracker is it actually doesn't track. Uh, you write it and then you hit play and it doesn't move. It doesn't visually show you. Uh, it's SNES GSS. Okay. Which I think Shiro was involved in. If It's honestly not showing up on my screen right now or else I'd give you more details. But it's awesome because the restrictions, like it tells you how much space you have for your samples. It, has, it tells you how much space you have for the songs. And it tells you how much song or space you have for sound effects all right there. And if you exceed it, it doesn't let you do anything. That's one great thing about it. Now, so there aren't sound engines to combat with in regards to that. Like it, it is a, the program itself. So you export from there directly into whatever they're doing. Whoever the programmer is on their end. This program also, I mean, it basically becomes, a, it accompanies the sound engine. Interesting. So I can export it and hand it over. And there it is. And they just That sounds it convenient. In. It's pretty nice. Kevin, remember that time that we decided we're done with NES programming? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it comes with, as, you know, with a few other variables, but, and I'm sure there's things I don't entirely know, but I will say this part is convenient. The whole uh, space, there's a meter. It's right there. It tells you. It's like you're out of space. Try again. That's awesome. As long as you keep doing amazing NES stuff, I, I won't complain if you uh, delve into the best system ever. I appreciate that. So is there anything new that you're working on that you want listeners to hear that you're allowed to share? You know? I think that I want to play I want to play a song from City Zen. Okay. For sure. I'll allow it, I guess. And I, I want to play something from Full Quiet, for sure. Everybody can be excited about that. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. And what else do I want to play? You could play something from our undisclosed Secret. project. Yeah. Without disclosing what it is. We could definitely do that. I like that idea. Disclosed the? It is disclosed <laughs> the... I like that I, I twisted your arm into it. I like it. No, no, there was no twisting involved. I wasn't sure I wasn't sure if that was allowed, but yeah, I'm really excited to play that. Wait, did you do the um the work part? Uh I actually had a friend do the work part. Okay, just we're just we're, we're we're referencing a sample that is in the music for the listeners. They'll know. Also on the box art. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I just called up or I texted my friend was like, hey, I need I need this voice to sound like a really dumb jerk saying work. So can you do that? And he did it and he nailed it's perfect. it. Perfect. Very flattering to him on this side of things. <laughs> <laughs> now, he knows how to play a dumb jerk. Well, let's hit these tombs up, man.
man, it's so nice being able to actually set aside the time to like listen to this, some of this music in depth. You know, we listen to a few tracks here and there in our episodes, but dedicating an episode to this, this is long overdue. I kind of feel like we should just take all the talking out, play music, but it's probably sort of maybe helpful or interesting. Yeah, we'll see. I feel like people at least need to hear my laugh in the episode to some degree. (laughs) You know, it's a shame. When we started the podcast, our very first goal was to talk with not just the programmers and not just the developers and the publishers, but the people that are making the nuts and bolts of games. We had the artist for Battle Kids scheduled to Mm. an interview because nobody's really heard from him. And then things didn't work out. And then... We've just gotten busy, but you can see that in the early episodes. Like we talked to Paul with the Homebrew World Championships, and you know he didn't program it; he just sort of organized it. Right. Yeah, there are a lot of people that sort of provide assets and and provide, you know, not the main sort of core programming to a game. That you know, without them, the games wouldn't be nearly as as good as they turned out to be. So the fact that we get to focus on some of these, uh, you know, some of these other asset musician artists um it's great and and it's hard because you have the people that can do it all like brad smith or derek or several other folks who just do everything and so when you talk to them you're talking to the musician the artist the programmer all at once and so which is super interesting that's a whole different topic for a different (laughs) episode yeah so it's nice to be able to get get some of the the asset people on but uh, you can do music. I've seen it or heard it. Uh, you can do art. I've seen it. We're going to broaden this up here and not just talk about music, but I think we should draw art into conversation as well. When do you decide to have somebody else contribute to one of your own projects? What's that process look like? Well, and I think I've, I've at least alluded to this in previous episodes, but in order to, well, there's there's two parts to this really. In order, for in my opinion, in order to bring my games to the next level, I feel like I want to. I, I first need to recognize my shortcomings. Yes, I can do music. Is it great music? Probably not. Is it good enough music? Maybe, but. Why would you just want something that's good enough? Why would you not want something great? So you need to sort of look outward, and I'm speaking personally. I chose to look outward to find people that I think do amazing things. Like John with Any Escape, like he does incredible graphics. Why would I not want to showcase his talent? Why would I not want to take something that he can do that surpasses my talent and sort of put that into something that I'm doing? Or, you know, one of the Thomases, they do music that is leaps and bounds beyond what I'm capable of. Like, I want to find people who are masters of their individual crafts. And some of them, you know, have talent beyond just an individual facet, but people that do amazing music, I want that amazing music in something that I do. I want this amazing graphics in something that I do. So I just want to take people that are the best and bring them together into something that when all of these individual pieces are put together, it elevates it to another level. And I know that I can't do that on my own. So 
just sort of that, like knowing, recognizing where I would be decent, but where someone would be better than me. That's, and, and, and aside from that, and I'm rambling here, but aside from that, oh, you're good. being able to just focus on the programming itself and having the assets sort of provided to me along the road also makes it way easier because, you know, I can focus on the nuts and bolts of putting things together. And when things are provided to me, I can just kind of dump them in and it magically works. Like, you know, I have to sort of give them guidelines. Like this is the sound engine we're using. This is what you can and can't do. You know, these are how many background screens I need. And sort of, these are the sprites and I need them to be on this one pattern table throughout the whole game. Like you have to give the asset creators guidelines and stipulations, but when they provide things for you that sort of fit into those constraints and you can just dump them into your project and it's instantaneously better because they're, you know, overriding placeholder graphics or just garbage temporary music. Like it's just so it's just magical. Just when I, like kind of when I talked about when I turned on scramble after Thomas gave me that music the first time, like it just feels like it was meant to be there. And the whole sum of its parts is so much greater than, you know, just the programming or whatever, you know, it was before that. So anyway, that's my long answer to your simple question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but I mean, that gets at, at the root of things is why would you choose to work with somebody? What is that process like? And what sort of you get from that, that you wouldn't get otherwise. And, And that last part, the one that gets me because I get as much as yes, I am the soul goose. And I've only had that thrown back in my face a few times when <laughs> like, hey, let's work on this. And like, but you don't need my help. You're the soul goose. And I'm like, ah, OK, because I can doesn't mean I want to. <laughs> and I can't do music to save my life anyway. So that doesn't matter. But I don't want to use this corporate America boardroom PowerPoint word, but the synergy that comes from Working with really talented and creative people, you pitch your vision. You're like, you know, I want something that sounds or looks like this. You know, give me Lord of the Rings. If they're doing, they're really, you know, good at what they're doing, they're not going to give you back Lord of the Rings. They're going to give you back their interpretation of what stood out to them in that. Yes. And I and I gave Thomas uh, and Thomas the. (laughs) <laughs> the stipulation of not stipulation, but the the you know I, I said Lord of the Rings, and I got back something that sounded nothing at all like Lord of the Rings for my unnamed RPG that I think we just played some music from, and it's okay. Like there's a time where you have to sort of say this is what is my vision, and there's other times where you say this is my vision. But it's a dynamic thing that changes based on who you're working with. Yeah, and that's that's a really interesting point. The things that come from collaborating, I think, sometimes lead to brilliant ideas that there's no way that you as an individual developer would have gotten to on your own. When you're bouncing ideas off of someone who is a creative, you know, as you are, things that you just never thought of um, start creeping in. And, it, and sometimes it's just mind-blowing how it elevates a project. 
Yeah, and maybe that's what people end up remembering from that project. Not all this stuff that you thought they would, but right. they're like, oh, man, the music was great. And you're like, that's not even the music I wanted. <laughs> yeah. But it worked, and I adapted to it, and that became the voice for Unnamed RPG. <laughs> uh, th with that project in particular, like Luke, the uh, artist I've been working with, the visual artist, because Thomas is doing the music, so much dictates level design so i give him what i need and he comes back with tiles and i have to use those tiles in the way that he saw that i would use them and so like that constant give and take and back and forth it's just it's a beautiful process when it works and it, it doesn't always work w would you agree it doesn't always work but i think that it introduces a unique sort of challenge that you know if you're doing your own art obviously or music for that matter you know exactly what you think you need, so you, you build it to those specifications. But when, like John, for example, with Any Escape, when he, when he would send me the art for that, he, having no idea the programming side of things, would just make it and send it. And I would, you know, at first glance say, well, this, this isn't going to work. Like, it's not, it's not to my specifications. But then I'd take a step back and think, okay, let me see if I can make this work. And I think that that actually made me grow as a programmer because I was thinking of things in perspectives that I had never considered before. So it was forcing me to, to learn more and figure out how to adapt that. So there is some uh, unique sort of things that come from things because... They're not doing things how you would do them. So you're forced to think outside the box. Oh, and the, there are times where you have to realize that creative differences are insurmountable. Yes. It's just not going to work, either for this project or you don't see eye to eye on something. And so sometimes there are conversations that have to be had. Those are tough. <laughs> they are, because everybody, you know talent's not lacking it's more the personalities match meshing and, and the visions meshing and all that yeah so, as the i want to say programmer because often with these games we're also designing them i don't know what these these details mean but uh <laughs> the one who's organizing everything sort of make those calls maybe maybe you don't work with somebody again and it's not because they're you know a person or whatever but maybe they just don't feel like they captured your vision yeah. I don't know. Not everything always goes so wonderful, but it's generally not terrible either. Right. And a lot of times it's, you know, it's people you're friends with beforehand and you bring them into a working environment and it's, you know, you're introduced to, you know, roadblocks and sort of creative differences that you would have never known existed before this individual sort of scenario. And when you have to sit down to, get through them you know the artists in general are pretty passionate people you know when, when they sit down to work on something they put their heart and soul and, and time and effort into something so when you have to sit down as a project lead and say hey you know this isn't sort of what i had in mind it's tough because everyone is coming you know at this from their unique perspectives and you're not there to hurt feelings and you care, you care about them as people, and you do probably like the art they provide or the music they provided, but 
at the end of the day, it's, it's maybe not, you know, sort of cohesive with the theme that you were going for. So it, you have to hurt feelings and it's, it's so hard to deal with that. It is, it is. And I remember like, I mean, we can just talk about us right here. And like you were doing fishing challenge. I was like, no, the art could be better. And I submitted some art and you just were like, nope. <laughs> and that was that. And it was like, Man, this is so much better. Uh, but <laughs> you know, as the lead, you get to make that call. Yep. Yeah. So, and not, to, I don't want to get, you know, overly negative there, but, you know, th- those things do happen. That's part of the process. And on either side of the table, you either have to make tough calls, as, as you called it, project lead. Thank you, corporate America. And, <laughs> or as the artist, you know, you, your work, you see your work rejected and not used or that type of thing. What do you look for when you have somebody enter into a project? Is that their only role generally? Well, I will say that is the role that I initially request of them. But as time goes on and, you know, these people get invested in the project, I am certainly open and welcome feedback from them if they have ideas of, you know, because, you know, over time I'll send them ROMs of the game, you know, sort of in progress so they can see their work in action. And maybe they have an idea of, you know, maybe the character isn't fluid enough or, you know, a- anything. Um, I-, I certainly welcome feedback from-, from people who are involved in the project. I definitely don't want people to be relegated to only what I bring them on for. I want them to contribute uh, as much or as little as they want to. Now, like you said, at the end of the day, their ideas might not be something that I choose to go with, um, but I definitely always want them to be available and feel welcome to to present me with any sort of uh, you know information or ideas that they might have. Oh, it's easy. When you share sort of a similar vision, they do often become involved in the feedback area whether with direct like actual beta testing or general gameplay or things related to what they're doing yeah like oh the music should be different for this area we should use this track here or like this art clearly doesn't work i need to draw some new stuff and that's that's one of the best parts i think when when say an artist submits art to you and you put it in the game and you send them back a rom for them to test out you know, as time goes on, they'll maybe see some art that they submitted early on in the process that as time's gone on, they've sort of developed a more cohesive style a- across the game spectrum. And maybe that early art doesn't quite fit in as well. They will go, you know, ahead and say, hey, do you mind if I redo this thing that I've already given you? Because I think I can do it better to sort of match the look of what the game has become. So having, having someone sort of along for the ride, I think is great because they, like I said, they become invested and emotionally tied into this project. And when, when people care about something that they're working on, I think that it makes all the difference in the world. Oh, it really does. And there, there's the extreme examples of the asset creator becoming one of the, almost half of the project things yeah. like project blue it starts off as toggle switches project but then then ellen comes along and suddenly it's like this joint project 
and they're working on it together and it you know, that's where your vision is so tied together or like julius and nicholas like just do things jointly yeah that's, i love it it's interesting because when you when you start to think about you know in the in the collaborative projects i've been involved with it's usually i bring a game idea to the table and you know i have a pretty clear vision of what i want when i bring the artist and the musician on after you know i tell them what i want um from them but for julius and nicholas like i'm trying to think of what it would be like to sit down with someone and discuss the game itself and collaboratively come up with the idea of the game. Um, I've never had to have those tough talks with anyone, you know, throughout the actual game idea uh, creation. So that's going to be a unique thing that, uh, you know, we're going to experience. And that's one of the reasons I've avoided it. Usually I'm very vision driven. And so to like share that aspect is you got to give up a lot. You got to, be willing to say you know i'm not always right or even about being right but like you got to let some other decisions in there and I, i've done that some now with uh him in the 6502 collective work even though i'm doing the programming and most of the design like ends up having a lot of say in like convention quests and stuff where it's like yeah we, we could do that or yeah that's not a it's not my idea but it's not a terrible idea and i will say that as the years have gone by I think I've become more and more open to ideas externally. Yeah, if if you are doing a project and you need help with something, just be mindful of of what that process might look like. There's plenty of musicians, plenty of artists. Even if even if you can't program, you just want to design something. There's plenty of programmers you could hire or work something out with. Yeah, we all have our strengths and and you know, game ideas, that is a huge one. So yeah, if, if you don't think you fall into any of these other categories, but you have some cool ass ideas for a game, like by all means, find a way to get the ideas down so you can present them to someone. Funny, most musicians and artists that I've either talked to or worked with over the years all have a game they want to make someday. Yep. Just sitting in their back pocket and you know, they can't like fully do it and maybe they've never made a game before. But when they finally find a programmer who likes their work, they're like, hey, by the way, uh, <laughs> I've even had it with beta testers. Lee, uh, James Robot, he's he's got this stellar game in his back pocket. Sorry, James. Uh, I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> it's there and he just needs somebody to make it. Is it about backing up a semi truck? Night. No, I said a good idea. <laughs> anyway, not everybody should be making games. Let's just say that. I say sorry, other friend, but I'm not sorry. Sorry at all. Kevin, well, you know, instead of sending this episode off with music, should we send it off with an art piece? Yes. So I will present to you, if you will all look this way, um, oh, just look at this. Look at how beautiful it is. Oh, you can't see it? Maybe we shouldn't send it off with an art piece. Ah, I guess we'll still do music. <laughs> um, you got anything special that's really stood out to you over the years? Let me tell you about this Nine Inch Nails cover that I did. You already played that on the podcast. <laughs> um, man. Um... Oh, new Larry music? 
Eh, I don't oh, really want to do that because it's a copyrighted theme song. Oh um, yeah. Let's. You want to feature something from Zai's one of Zai's music albums? Uh, let's do that. Okay. Uh, so we're gonna feature track uh, from the album, and yeah, thanks for uh, hanging out. Yep, I'm not even gonna tell you how to find us in this episode. Figure it out. Uh, there's a reason you did the send-offs, not me. <laughs> <laughs>